Take your Bibles to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Now, the teenagers will recognize that song because one of the preachers that we've gone to listen to the last uh, two of the last three years, his name is Brother Kenny Baldwin. He is a fantastic preacher, and uh, he's actually an extremely good singer as well. And he sings that song, and he's just a big, boisterous guy, and he has a lot of charisma, and so he puts a ton of passion into that song. He plays his own piano, so he kind of, kind of, boom, 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 you know, at some of those notes. And this morning, I, I saw Brother Sean uh, practicing, and I saw the, he has, he carries a television screen around with him, and uh, I saw it, it's his iPad, um, and I saw Jesus Never Fails on there, and I said, Brother Sean, if you're going to sing that song, you need to sing it like Kenny Baldwin. And, uh, and he said, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And I said, well, Brother Sean, in fairness, I cannot ask you to sing like Kenny Baldwin if I can't preach like him. So uh, <laughs> there's no reason to ask you to. But I think you did a great job on the song, Sean, and I'm so thankful for the truth that it conveys over and over that Jesus never fails. You say, man, that sure sounded like that's all the song said. That's all it needed to say, is it not? It said it over and over again because He's never failed in all the trials He's ever been put through. Psalm 105, verse 1, we'll read only the first verse. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. Psalm 106, verse number 1. The Bible says, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Psalm 107 verse 1 says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. God is worthy of our thanks. We continue to read in Psalm 107, verse number 2. The Bible says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distress. And He led them forth by the right way, that they may go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would bless in this time of preaching, of encouragement. And Lord, I pray that while this may not be a long sermon, it would be very direct to every need in this room. And there is not a person in here tonight, Lord, that I believe is appropriately giving You the thanksgiving that You deserve. So, Lord, help us understand what You've done for us and why You are so worthy of it. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, as we approach this Thanksgiving season, our uh, 
our big major companies in the United States of America will market themselves to us, and, and they will have Thanksgiving Day sales, they will have uh, Black Friday blowout sales, and, and Thanksgiving is the central theme of what we've been seeing on TV for many, many weeks now. Everybody in the United States of America, or for the most part anyway, celebrates Thanksgiving. Now, most people celebrate it in one way and some others ways. You know, some people have fajitas for Thanksgiving, which I don't blame you. Some of us have turkey and ham 16 days in a row. It's kind of like our Hanukkah, but for Thanksgiving. But whatever you do, we're all involved in this season of Thanksgiving as Americans. But my question is, who is an unsaved individual thinking? Right now, we're trying to raise our daughters as well as we can, and my wife and I, every time somebody in the church or somebody out in the community does something nice for them, we encourage them to say what? We'll say, now, Caitlin, what do you say? And they say, thank you. And in every object lesson that we have taught my daughter so far in this regard, there has always been a giver of a gift and a person who is worthy of receiving thanks for giving the gift. Now, I don't know what an unsaved person thanks whatever for. Maybe they're thankful to live in uh, America, which certainly anybody in their right mind uh, they don't have to deal with any issues right now. I'm all about standing up for your rights, but this is getting ridiculous. We live in the greatest nation in the world, and people need to realize that. But I don't know exactly what they're thanking whatever for. Maybe they're thanking to have food. Maybe they're thanking to, to uh, have a good job. I don't know. But tonight in our passage, the Bible specifically says, give thanks to the Lord. But verse 2 makes very clear who can give thanks. The redeemed. Tonight I want to talk about having a redeemed thanksgiving. A thanksgiving that is not like a normal holiday. A thanksgiving that is not so focused on going shopping the next day. But a thanksgiving that is truly thankful for the greatest thing that is going on in any of our lives. And that is the fact that Jesus loves us. And He's on our side. Tonight I want to share with you three very, very important uh, uh, things to be thankful for. But before we get into that, I want to take a look at verse number 1. And you have to understand the object of the thanks before you can really understand why He is so worthy of it. The Bible says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Now, I'm afraid sometimes our theology gets a little skewed on God uh, and, and our understanding of Him. But do not mistake the Bible saying, for God is good, as if it's saying, God can do good. Because God is not just a good doer. He is all that is good. Anytime a person in this world does an act that is kind or gracious towards another, I believe it is the remnant of the relationship that they once had with God. It is a moral compass that God put in every man to redirect them to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. God is the author and the source of everything that is good in this world. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, Thou art good and doest good. See, the Bible draws 
a complete distinction between not only being good, but doing good. You see, I can do good, but I am not good all the time. There are times when I can be friendly, but I am not friendly all the time. There are times when I can be generous, but I am not generous all the time. But since God is not just a doer of good, God is the very essence of good. God can do no evil. He thinketh no evil. He hopeth no evil. For God is good. Now, as you watch some of these football games, there's commercials beginning to play. And the commercials start with a famous NFL player. For instance, one of them is Drew Brees, the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Another one is A.J. Green, the wide receiver for the Cincinnati uh, Bengals. And, and they have these guys. One of them is actually Luke Keekley as well, a linebacker for the Carolina Panthers. And they're, they're sitting in a chair and they're being interviewed. And they start to tell all of their accomplishments about what they had to do in order to get the jersey that they wear. For instance, uh, uh, Drew Brees will say something to the effect of, I'm not exactly sure on all his statistics, but he'll say something like, I have five Pro Bowls. I have, uh, uh, I have accomplished more than 11 5,000-yard seasons. And I have thrown for X number of touchdowns, and I have done this, and that's how I earned the jersey that I wear. And then somebody standing to his left or to his right, just an anonymous figure, stands there with the same jersey that he is wearing. Number nine, and it says Breeze on the back. And they say something to, effect, to, to the effect of, well, I just went to NFLshop.com and got mine. And, and, and the athlete looks at him like, well, that was way easier for you. But there's a clear distinction between when that fan puts the jersey on and when Drew Brees wears his jersey. You see, in the jersey is the athlete who made the jersey. The jersey would be worth nothing if Drew Brees did not have the talent, if Drew Brees had not put in the years of work, if Drew Brees had not done all these incredible things. That jersey would be worthless and rather confusing to everyone. You see... We may put on the cloak of goodness at times, but God is the one who is good. He made good. We would not understand good if it was not for God. It is who He is. He is not only good because of who He is, but I want to take a look at why He is so good. Verse number 1, the Bible says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good for His mercy endureth forever. Now, I, uh, I was even having a conversation with someone this week. Mercy and grace are such difficult terms in the Christian's life. Not because they are un, uh, uncomprehendable, uh, but it is because they are so closely tied. But there are clear distinctions between the two. And right here the Bible says, His mercy endureth forever. So I tried doing the very best that I could to study what mercy was, and the word that kept popping up is this, kindness. Kindness. And, you know, that seems 
rather dull at first. I was looking for some great Hebrew revelation of the old language and what it meant to the cattle farmers and to the, you know how, how preachers do that sometimes. They dive so deep into it, you're, you're gasping for breath by the time they start to tell you the explanation. And that's what I was kind of going for. But I didn't get that. I got kindness. But then this stuck out to me. Kindness from one who has authority over another. You see, when God offers His kindness, it is not that anybody is owed His kindness. It is not that somebody was deserving of it or even that it was understandable to those that were receiving it. It was one who is in complete authority, extending kindness to a group of people who were totally undeserving and most of the time rather unappreciative. God, His mercy endureth forever. Jonathan Edwards said this, God is pleased to show mercy to His enemies according to His own sovereign pleasure. Though He is infinitely above all and stands in need of no creatures, yet He is graciously pleased to take a merciful notice of poor worms in the dust. Oh, modern day songs are trying to remove uh, combative or insulting language. Things like... uh, for such a wretch as I. We're removing words like sinner and replacing them with holiness of God. But you understand you cannot realize the depth of His holiness without realizing the depth of our depravity first. His holiness is only made so wonderful when you realize how far we fall short of His holiness. He is not only good, but He is good because His kindness extends to those of us who are so undeserving. He is good to all and every man who has ever come to Him. But notice in this verse, For His mercy endureth forever. Now, does anybody notice anything unique about the word endureth in your Bible? It's different than the rest of the words in the verse. It's italicized. And maybe you're not exactly sure of what that means, but a lot of times when the Bible translators were taking the the Bible out of uh, uh, Koine Greek or uh, 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 Hebrew, they would translate it, but there would be times where words were needed to be inserted so that it was understandable. This is one of those times. Now, I believe the Word of God, the King James Version, is the inspired Word of God. It does not need to be changed. It does not need to be altered. And you will never hear me stand behind this pulpit and say, well, a better word here would have been, because that is not my place to correct God. But here, the literal meaning of this passage is, for His mercy forever. Now, endureth helps us understand, meaning... It will be there until the end. But the real reading of this passage is His mercy forever. Forever and ever. It is inexhaustible. It is unquenchable. It is uh, like a raging fire that nobody can put out. His mercy forever. And I'm so thankful for it. He is so good. He is the essence of good. He is inherently good. He is everything good. But He extends that goodness towards us through His mercy. 
And that is the object of whom we are to be thankful. He's worthy. He is so deserving of our thanksgiving, and not in the American way that we give it. I was thinking yesterday as I was driving down the road, and the sermon was starting to burn in my heart, and I was, I was just contemplating everything that we do at Thanksgiving, and, and then I got to thinking over the rest of my life, and every single day, this is to be a process. That's why Psalm 105 says be thankful. Psalm 106 be, says be thankful. Psalm 107, the entire chapter is about being thankful. The Bible uh, uh, says that we are to do everything with thanksgiving. And I got to thinking, how come I thank God at lunchtime? And albeit, oftentimes, those are far from being as heartfelt as they need to be. But how come I thank God at lunchtime, supper time, and breakfast time? But when I go to my refrigerator and I pour me a glass of sweet tea, which obviously is directly given by God to Texans. Everybody else borrowed it. And I believe the closest thing do we have to the original text would be Chicken Express sweet tea. Um, that was a joke. But I got to thinking, what stops me? from when I'm standing over something which I know I did not provide for myself. What stops me when I go to grab anything and indulge and, and take pleasure? And what stops me from being thankful? And even if I don't say an audible prayer, is my heart genuinely thankful that God has supplied for me? He is so good and His mercy endureth forever. He, as an object of our thanksgiving, is worthy of it. But I want to take a look at what He's done for us specifically. How His goodness transported to us as in a vehicle, like uh, we anxiously wait on the UPS truck to arrive at our home when we've ordered something from Amazon Prime, and we're thinking, well, it's two days, so it better get here. We anxiously wait on it. The object was His goodness. The vehicle was His mercy. And now we're waiting on it. How was it to be revealed to us? What are we so thankful for? What, how did His goodness display itself to us? Three things to be incredibly thankful for this Thanksgiving. Number one, we have been saved out of the hands of the enemy. Verse number two, the Bible says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, why should I say I'm so thankful? Whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I want to take a look, first of all, at our adversary. Now, certainly this was... Uh, I believe there's a broader context in the book of Psalms than just uh, Israel, but no doubt the, the, uh, a psalmist was referring to Israel here. And when you hear a term like our enemy or our adversary, our mind directly goes to Satan himself. But let's think how Israel's uh, uh, battles went throughout the course of their history. I would suggest to you that Israel's biggest enemy was not the Philistines or the Amalekites or the Jebusites or the Perizzites or the Hibachisites. I don't know all the sites, but you know what I'm talking about. I would suggest to you that, that all those people were not their biggest enemy. You know who Israel's biggest enemy was? Themselves. Every battle they fought, if they didn't get in the way, they went in. 
They prevailed. They were victorious through God's hand upon them. God blessed. Even in unimaginable ways, God blessed. Israel's biggest enemy and the one that they were always fighting with was themselves. And I would, I would say that in terms of who we fight most of the time, although the Bible labels the devil as our adversary, I would say we're our biggest enemy. Certainly in terms of being delivered from it. See, the Bible teaches us that you were a sinner. You've always been a sinner. There was no way to escape it. You are and were a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible, uh, Paul defines it like this. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Our enemy was the fact that we were born in a sinful condition. And yet Jesus delivered us from that condition. We had an adversary. I want you to notice, secondly, our acquittal. Now, Brother Adam, I don't want you to get too mad at me. Number one, for borrowing a, a, a lawyer's term and a court term. And then I don't want you to get too mad at me for kind of misusing it, okay? You see, the definition of acquittal is somebody who has been proven to be not guilty of what they have been accused of. Brother Adam may have been sloppy language, but as the, the attorney in the room, can you agree with that? Brian, as the guy who argues the most in the room, can you agree with that? All right, there we go. So, acquittal means that the person was never actually guilty of the crime that they have been uh, relieved from or they have been proven to be not guilty of the crime they've been accused of. But we are going to modify this term because our acquittal was someone who was absolutely, unrepentantly guilty before God. And yet somehow in this amazing process of salvation it is as if we never were guilty at all not that we were once guilty and have been set free from the guilt of that no our salvation is so good that we it is like we stand before God as if we were never a sinner at all a term that I've been meditating on the past several days is this by His stripes we are healed. It's like every time a wound was put on our Savior, one was taken from us. It's like every time they beat Him, every 39 times they beat Him, it's like one removed from our back because we were the one who was so marred. We were the one who was so wicked. We were the one so ugly that we were unrecognizable from the original image that God created us in. And yet, somehow in this amazing transformative substitutionary payment of what God did for us, every time Jesus received a stripe, it was as if one removed from us and placed upon Him. And now we're presented before the King of Kings as one who never stood condemned at all. That's our acquittal. You want to know one reason that we, above all people in all history, deserve or, 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 or it's demanded upon us to be thankful? You know why? Because He delivered us from our greatest enemy that we've ever faced. Secondly, I want you to notice this. Not only did He deliver us from our enemy, He has shown us the right way. 
look, verse number 4, chapter number 107, the Bible says, They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. You see the directionlessness in the nation of Israel right here? In every unredeemed child, it's like David himself is writing his own personal salvation experience where before he met God, he had no aim in life. Think about it. Where would you be if you had not at one point accepted Jesus as your Savior? Aimlessly wandering in this world? Hopefully not looking for the same type of carnal promotions that you would be looking for now. Hopefully something's changed. You see, because when we meet God, we're changed. And we're taken out of this wandering way and given a right way to travel in. Man, I, I, I look at Israel and it wasn't that they were not looking for a way out of the wilderness, but it was that they themselves could not find one. The Bible describes men before they get saved like this, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You want to know why the world, as it gets farther and farther away from God, gets more wicked and wicked and wicked? Because they're starting to do everything that is right to them. And I'm telling you, right now, we are on a road to sexual immorality in this nation and in this world like we have never known in this world. If every man can do that which was right in his own eyes, what makes anything off limits? And that's what God says man does. They seek their own. They seek to please themselves, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pleasure of life. That's what they seek for all that is in the world are these. But yet, when we were so directionless, the moment we met God, now we are drawn to the right way. Look in verse number 7. He brought them out of their distresses and He led them forth by the right way that they may go to a city of, hab of a habitation. What I like about this is the fact that they were wandering everywhere looking for a right way. And you know what they found? A lot of ways that were the wrong way. And the Bible says once they acknowledged God and they called to Him in their distress, He delivered them to the right way. You know what that means to me? There's one. You follow God, you're on the right way. But I would suggest to you tonight that there are a lot of Christians on another way. And maybe not on another way to heaven, because certainly that's going to lead to catastrophe, but on another way to be His child. On another way to be His disciple. Man, when you're hooked up to God, I loved what preacher said this morning about us being close to God and removing the distance between us and the Lord. But when you are right with God and you are there with God, the Bible says, and He orders the steps 
of a good man. The Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Now notice this. He brought me up also out of a, a, a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. Notice this. And established my goings. You see, when God, when you get right with God, He not only shows you a good way, He shows you the right way. We ought to be thankful because He set us free from the worst enemy we could face. We ought to be thankful to God because He has shown us the right way to live. And finally, we have to be thankful because we have been satisfied by His works. First number 8 of the passage, the Bible says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. For His wonderful works to the children of men. I'm using my dad's Bible tonight to preach from. And he's got this part underlined in italis, uh, in quotation marks. For He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. We, no doubt, Christian, face tremendously difficult things in our life. And if we are commanded to be thankful in all things, then I would have to conclude that things cannot be the option of our, or the, the object of our thanksgiving. Man, when we ask people at Thanksgiving time what they're thankful for, how often is it, no, I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful for the, the occupation the Lord has given me, the job, and I'm thankful for my family. And those are all good things to be thankful for, and I believe the Lord gives good things to those who walk uprightly. I, I believe that with my whole heart. But if our, if our, if our conditions... If the elements of our life are constantly in turmoil and change, certainly we're on the mountaintop one day and in the valley another day. If this is the ebb and flow of the Christian life and we are commanded to be thankful in all things, the only thing that I can think that is the one consistent factor is this. God. You are you, you not thankful for the works of His hands in giving you things, or in giving you good circumstances, or in the fact that you're not hovered over a hospital bed right now, or that you're not in the hospital bed right now. You, you, you're, you're to be thankful for all things. Well, how do we do that if, our, if sometimes we find ourselves in less than ideal situations? Because God. But, but preacher, what if I'm going through, but God. But preacher, what if my life just starts heading downhill, but God. What else do you need? He's the 
soul healer. He is the great physician. He is the one with all access to all things. He is the one who loves you beyond all reasonable belief. He is the one who can provide anything for you at any given time. He is the comforter. He is the provider. He is the high tower. He is the rock. He is the one who established your goings. He is the one who is uh, the lily of the valley, the bright morning star. He is the, uh, the rose of Sharon. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the prince of peace. He is everything in all things. He's the alpha and the omega. He is God. Why should we be thankful? Because God. What other reason do we need? This Thanksgiving, if I'm looking at a microwave dinner or a Tostino's pizza, I can be thankful because God. This Thanksgiving, if I'm seated around a wonderful table with with more food than a small tribe could eat. And my beautiful families, they're all healthy. And Abigail gets out of the hospital all fine, and, and everything is great in life, and I just sit back with my belly full, and I just start to reminisce on everything that God has done. I can be thankful not for the things, not for the, the people I'm sharing it with. I can be thankful because God is in it. But if we're to be thankful... At all times and in all things, the only thing that I can conclude is, if God is in it with me, I'm thankful. 